Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 166 of the ETPH18 podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am well, thank you. Very well, how are you? Good, I'm very well, thank you. Also, I am freezing my tits off still, but other than that, great. Oh, great. <laughs> um, I was thinking about, I know we've got lots of questions to get through, but this is the week that that New York Post came out about heroin chic coming back. Yes. And I didn't post on it. Because to be honest, I've seen so many posts on it. If people haven't seen the, the New York Post post, it was basically saying, is it the return of heroin chic? Which is like the 90s trend, right? 90s, early noughties trend of Kate Moss and others. I think they use pictures of the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I kind of wish that we didn't have to give it as much airtime as it had. You know, like I kind of wish, I would love if us all to be at the point of like not even having to discuss it because... Why would we ever listen to probably some man who's wrote written some article about a Kardashian's body and decided, right, okay, well, now's the time to make all women starve themselves and get really thin again. And there's no judgment on the Kardashians. They can do whatever the hell they want with their bodies. But it's a shame that we still have to remind each other that, remember, your body is not a trend. Remember, you can do what you want with your body. And it's like, it's a real shame that we still have to do that and that's not anyone's fault other than the media's fault um mm. and all of these stories we've internalized but god it's a dark time if they think that's coming back I don't think I don't think it will be I don't think no I don't think so I mean I remember it was probably a couple of months ago I think it was Kim saying like she was having every, everything but lots of things removed like and toning down on on other procedures that she was having well then surely that's how her body's going to look mm. exactly yeah. and also you give her so much crap for having the curvy body like again we just can't win yeah it's better, I mean like the Kardashians can never win I mean they're winning in their bank balances but like they can never win in terms of their bodies they're either trying to change race trying to change size putting too much into their bodies taking too much out of their bodies and it's like who cares? Like she's literally going back to what she feels is her more natural, like settling body. And it's like, right, she's encouraging everyone to stop eating and to get thinner. And it's like, no, no, she's literally just taking out the implants. Like, but again, who cares? Like, this is the thing. It's like, who cares what other people do to their bodies? Like, why do we all want to look the same too? It's like Catherine Ryan when she's always like, oh, you know, when I was a teenager, everyone had hair coloured skin and skin coloured nail hair. And it was all about just looking like, you all just want to look the same and the same colour, just everything the same. It's like you get to the point where you think, why would I want to look, why would I want my body to look the same as everyone else's body? And that's acceptance. Obviously, that's what we're all looking for. So I think it's a really good reminder of like, if you feel when you see stuff like articles like that, if you feel the pull to think, oh, maybe I need to change my body in that way, think about why that is. It's probably because you're trying to find your space of belonging. And as we know, as Brene says, belonging comes from being your most authentic self. It does not come from changing your body to be the same as everyone else's. So it's a good time for reflection, I think. And if you were felt triggered by it in some way, it's a really good time to think about like why that might be. And I certainly wasn't triggered by it. I just rolled my eyes like, I can't, like, we can't go down this road again. Like, we really <laughs> can't. We've we've done so well collectively to think, oh, do you know what? I really want to have the energy to be good at my job. I really want to, like, have a sex drive. I really want all, like, to, to live my best life. Please, let's not go, <laughs> no, do you know what? Those things are not important anymore. I'd rather be thinner. Can we not? Can we not? Again, absolutely nothing wrong if you if you maintain a smaller body with no food preoccupation and and good energy levels, then absolutely great. Um, and same if you're in a slightly large body, absolutely great. But like, can we 
can we challenge ourselves if we feel the pull to do these things because we like I don't well can you imagine in 10 years time if we're doing this again and like bringing back body positivity and body acceptance again because we've gone full circle again I cannot deal with any more <laughs> I can't deal with any more of those side by side pictures I can't so can we just stop just for my sake because I can't deal with any more of them I really for you uh, I mean I can get on board with <laughs> thanks so much just thanks you, so much <laughs> thanks um okay this is a, a quickie question um do you know of any vegetarian sources of inspiration online? So anybody that you follow or any places that you know that give good <clears throat> sources of like vegetarian or vegan meal ideas or anything like that? I don't, I'm afraid. I'm, I, 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 I always find, and I'm sure there are some great ones, but I always find particularly, and I'm not putting a label, on people but with vegans there's a lot of misinformation and it's and it, it feels like this is the way that you should eat rather than it being a choice mm. um so no I don't I don't really follow anyone I mean a... I just love Lucy and she does she doesn't do many vegan mm. but she does great vegetarian dishes. that's a good point Lucy Lord um or Instagram handles lord lucy isn't it um <laughs> just her books are fantastic like the most used recipe books i've ever owned my mum loves them it's great i gave my mum one of her books and she was so like buzzing to to read it um really and, and the thing with lucy's recipes is generally a lot of the stuff that's like you have in the house and also you can change like you can always change protein sources and i think that's the thing like the, the, the struggle with being vegetarian or vegan is sometimes you can't just swap one protein source out for another because the protein doesn't kind of work the same but things like chicken and um like red meat you can change for tofu relatively easily the problem is this obviously if you don't like tofu but she does a lot of like beans and lentils and things i like i honestly use recipes from google like i made a maple walnut pumpkin spice cake last week and i just googled it was great I'm not gonna lie to you and I just googled like pumpkin spice cake and I and like millions of recipes come up the, the thing is you obviously have to have the initial idea in the first place but I think I think the internet and google is still so underrated for recipes I recommended to this person um, Marika Day she runs an app um and it's she's a really good dietitian in Australia and um she runs an app that is, I don't know the ins and outs of the app, but she does has a lot of recipes on there. <clears throat> so I, I recommend her if you want some ideas, like on her Instagram page, she's got quite a lot of food ideas. And maybe we should start sharing more of how what we do. The problem is, is that we're, our food is not very aesthetic. <laughs> do you know, like, again, no judgment, because every time you show like your slow cooker casserole things, I'm like, oh, that's not very aesthetic, but that is what I eat too. <laughs> um but yeah you're right it's not I know do you know um oh it, the vegetarian brand it's like this isn't and it's like this isn't oh, bacon yeah. this isn't chicken they've started doing ready meals and I picked one up uh for later tonight because I need to eat quickly and then go and I'm so excited it's a Thai green curry oh nice and 20 grams of protein oh nice mm. oh. I will report back I need to get on that. I mean, oh, the last week I had a disaster. I made, I make, I make like a casserole on a Sunday or a Monday that does me for four nights, and then I have that, and I'll change the veggies or whatever for the next week, or the beans and stuff for the next week. And I had one one serving left for the Thursday night, and I was I was walking to like move over to the table, and I dropped the whole thing. My mum had bought me this beautiful bowl serving bowl that I'd smashed, and my last oh, meal went yeah. everywhere all up my walls and I just I can't I actually can't cope but this is where if you go to Lidl or Aldi if you're in the UK these microwave bags of lentils and chickpeas are the greatest thing I say it all the time but all I had to do was go oh I'll just heat one of them up put some baby bells in them and I had some leftover broccoli <laughs> it was great it was delicious <laughs> so yeah anyway moving on um tips for allowing others to be an inspiration but not to the point it becomes a toxic comparison oh great question yeah. great question I <laughs> journal on like what it is that 
inspires you about them and what can you do in your life that would like help you get to where you want to be um and I think that that's going to help get it clearer because if it's I'm just trying to think like for me there's people in the fitness industry fitness wellness health industry that are inspirational but thanks I know so much babe thanks so much I know I know <laughs> but I know that I wouldn't change anything about myself to be like that does mm. that make sense yeah oh, sorry <laughs> right. I, have said that. <laughs> I, I forgot I missed that part so here's what I think I actually um, Emma and I speak a bit about this or we were speaking about this in some of our talks like at IFS we were speaking a little bit about comparison especially in relation to business um because there's this idea that comparison is always the thief of joy never compare and I don't actually think that that's true um but there's kind of two different ways like when we say upward social comparison what I mean by upward social comparison is comparing people to people who you think are above you in that specific field so it might be me comparing myself to Brene Brown right as an example and that can be um motivating or it can be demoralizing and we all have different like we kind of fall into those two different responses and if it is demoralizing it's probably something that we want to not do so we want to not compare ourselves to that person maybe we mute that person maybe we don't like maybe i unfollow Brittany Brown, which obviously is never going to happen but that's because she inspires me she she motivates me she doesn't demoralize me and i think one of the things that's really important is to think about like not comparing to your peers if you if you want to benefit from comparison compare to people that are beyond you now i am certainly 100 here not talking about bodies or food right so really really want to make that clear comparison of bodies is never helpful you cannot strive to have someone else's body that's impossible you can strive to have a similar career to someone in your own space or a similar work ethic or whatever it may be like those things are or a house that they have that you love whatever bodies you cannot have someone else's body so i really really want to make that part clear um so <clears throat> going like comparing to someone that's sufficiently ahead of you is really helpful what we tend to see when you compare to people <clears throat> who are your peers is that it tends to be more like demoralizing and then that's if that's the case like don't compare to those people again mute them don't watch their instagram stories where you find like you're comparing every aspect of your life to every aspect of theirs and it's that is quite toxic um but the other thing i would say is like be your best self don't like compare yourself to past you as opposed to comparing yourself to other people that can be quite motivating um for a lot of people as well with low self-esteem we know that actually comparing to where you've been so far is more beneficial than comparing to where you want to go whereas people who tend to have higher self-esteem and higher confidence they actually tend to be more motivated by comparing themselves to their future selves or to people ahead so if you struggle with your self-esteem or your self-worth then think about like and reflect like you said on a journal on where how far you've come so far um as a little bit of like a consistent motivator and anything else there will be certain people in my life that and I know there's a couple of people that I don't that I've muted and there's no logical reason why I would have muted them but I know that if I saw them at like if I would see their post this this would be years ago I don't the stuff like this doesn't really bother me anymore but I know I would know that it would trigger me for something and I'd, I'd never really be think I don't care why, it's just not beneficial to me. So I think just being really accountable to that is important. Okay. Post-menopausal client question that you young and perky women won't exactly relate to yet. Tips for body acceptance when needed desired weight loss results in age-related negatives, quote unquote, such as more noticeable wrinkles because there's less fat plumping them up, or saggier deflated boobs because they're mostly fat tissue and with less fat plus age gravity and no estrogen they change dramatically after menopause even though they're still large they're soft and flat and don't properly fit bra cups and there's an associated question but i think we'll start with that one first can i just say that like i'm not saying that i 100 obviously have gone through all of these situations but i definitely have the age thoughts especially in my face and i'm always like quite like it when I gain a bit of weight and I'm, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before sometimes I like it when I gain a bit of weight because my boobs get a bit bigger and my face gets a bit fuller so I feel like my wrinkles like are less noticeable in my face when I gain weight so 
like I'm not comparing the two, but I definitely I'm not completely immune to the the aspect of aging and what that does. Um, so I do want to start with that. Anna, you're you're still on the other side of thirty, so you've got you've got all this to come. Well, I was just thinking though, like obviously what you said about gaining weight when I prepped my my boobs never came back to how they were like pre-prep interesting like, don't get me wrong they're I was gonna say they're fine like the boobs are great but yeah ne- not the same fitness boobs just mm. yeah that does happen that does happen hence why everyone gets boob jobs I think I think it's less about the age stuff and it comes back down again to just acceptance in general it's specific to the age thing there is evidence around and i have spoken about this on the podcast before but around positive age beliefs and the impact that it can actually have on your health in the sense of like when you're more positive about aging and you don't associate everything to to do with aging and you don't kind of think oh i'm getting old or I mean, everyone thinks that to some degree, but if you don't focus too much on that stuff, that actually you're likely to have improvements in your physical health outcomes. There was one specific study that looked at dementia risk and they looked at people who had the gene for, so there's a certain gene that increases your risk of dementia and people who had this gene for the increased risk of dementia, but had positive age beliefs, reduced their risk of getting dementia similar to people that didn't have the gene compared to people who had the gene and didn't have positive age beliefs or had negative age beliefs. So, which I think is really cool. And there's a book called The Expectation Effect, which I haven't read, but Emma loves. Um, and she said some of this stuff is in there too. So I, I think that's a cool book to read if that's, this is stuff that it kind of interests you. It's not just about aging, it's about lots of different things. Um, so I think being mindful of that and trying to not attribute sort of, it's trying to not fall into the narrative every day where you see something that you don't like and go, oh, it's because I'm getting older. I think that's that's a hard one because it's that self-talk thing that we always talk about of being mindful of the thoughts that you're having and actively choosing not to go down what we call like in meditation we call them like the links so when you again when you start to see like maybe you've got you notice wrinkles on your face and then you go down the links of like that's because I'm getting older and then you go on this this also is happening because I'm getting older and xyz you fall into that story so trying to catch yourself on that is probably really really helpful um and what else i was going to say like checking in with what you're exposing yourself to because i think while you're building up that acceptance like are you if you're on social media are you constantly looking at pictures of younger bodies and therefore easily making comparisons and if so like mute unfollow delete um and and looking at like all the I have this like vivid memory of because my mum was like when she was turning must be 60 she was like no that that's it that that's old but there was this poem that like I think it was like I think it's I don't know but it's when I when I get old I'm gonna wear purple and it's basically giving zero shits about anything and she was like actually that's what I've got to look forward to because I think you reach you like I know you said it in your 30s like you just become more accepting of yourself and 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 I think that's what's great about age because you have that understanding of yourself and you can just be you and truly own it yeah uh yeah I do hear these things as you get like older that you you hear less about I guess male gaze stuff and, and more focus on like this is what I want this is what's more important to me I think sometimes and I don't know if this is applicable to every age group I know certainly for me I have a lot of conversations with women in their 30s um about aging and and stuff like that and and something that I think is really impactful is like it's like in 10 years time I'm going to wish I looked like this in 10 years time I'm going to wish I had these energy levels in 10 years time I'm going to look back and think god I wish I just enjoyed that time when I was that age and and I, and I think even you know maybe when you're in your 50s 60s 70s I still think that, that probably happens like I speak to my nana about stuff like this and she's like well, yeah I'm getting old I'm getting old but she didn't say this even 10 years ago she wasn't like oh I'm getting old and she's 95 now I think and yeah. and I so yeah exactly and she's still and, and so I think it look into the future can be quite helpful of like how do I, like how do I want to reflect on this time 
Um, and then all, of course, all of the other body acceptance stuff of like, every day that you get older is another day that you didn't die. <laughs> and like, that's, that's something to be, to sell, to celebrate. Um, I don't know if anyone's watched From Scratch on Netflix yet, but my word, that is a nice reminder. The word nice is actually not accurate. And actually, <laughs> I wish that I hadn't watched it. Um, however, if you, if you, if you want a bit of a reminder of life, then that's certainly one to watch. <laughs> Okay, so associated question to this. Not in a relationship for nearly 20 years, and sometimes think about a time when I might, but the last time a man saw me naked, it was my husband, and I was a lot younger and firmer. Not sure how to connect body acceptance, glad for progress in reducing fat, my own thoughts about my body and health, which she's done amazing with, with anxieties about potentially a new partner's thoughts about my body. More confident about it because I'd be slimmer, but less confident because of saggy breasts and skin, which I didn't have to worry about the last time a man saw me naked. Oh, honestly, men are, this is not their fault, but my God, we care so much about bloody male gaze. <laughs> well, I hate that, I hate that we do. I hate that we do. And yeah, so, yeah, so much that. Like, I don't want to, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, oh, I don't well, I was going to say. <laughs> go, go, I'll be quiet. <laughs> I was going to say that like, it's, I mean, it, it's, I know this is more, age related but I think it's so much the same as to whether you're like when your body's changed if you put on weight and, and you're worrying about partners potential partners seeing you that like it's it's not about them it's about you and your pleasure your happiness and so if if at the moment the thought of kind of getting naked is a bit too much then wear something that you feel really freaking great in mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're not caught up on, on worrying. I totally agree. And I sometimes think, so sometimes I think with like, I see the younger generation, but like people who are, you know, like teenagers, early twenties now. And I think they're, God, they're exposed to TikTok and they see this awful, like they see men at 16 years old saying, I want to spit in your mouth and all this stuff. And you just think my word. But then on the flip side of that, I think that younger women now know that sex is about them. And I definitely think that I did I did not get that message. I know that my mum didn't get that message. And and we grew up in a different time that sex was about men. And I st and I still think it's very important now. And I I like I don't whenever I go into like that new environment personally, I still have to say to myself, be really intentional with this, like this is also about you. And I'm not just talking about sex, I'm talking about dating. I'm talking about all of it of like, this is not about me pleasing this person. This is about me having a good time as a whole. And I think, I think you're so, so right. It's so important that you think, well, what am I getting out of this? Like, how am I showing up for myself? And how, like, what does this, this man in this situation like bring me? And I think if you're dating someone, before that that happens which you may or may not be doing I don't know but I think if you're dating someone, you can build that connection so that like you trust that person it's very easy when you're not with someone to build it up in your head to be something but remember that when you're with someone that you want to have sex with you're not always again it could be much more casual than this but it might be that you've built up that connection where you have that trust already you might even have spoken about it you, you never know but a lot of confidence in sex, I think, comes from communication and it comes from emotional connection and it comes from the confidence you have in that person and yourself. Not It's not really much to do with your body. Um, and, and also when you're having sex, like, it took me a while to get here, but eye contact is great. <laughs> and like, like eye contact <laughs> and like feeling, like you said, wear something that you feel comfortable and you don't have to be completely naked. And... <sighs> And, and focusing, do you know what? I think mindfulness is really good for this because mindfulness, I remember doing a lot of reading around tantric, tantric sex and they were talking about mindful masturbation and stuff like that. Now, this may be something that you want to try for yourself as like practicing mindful masturbation. And I know that sounds really odd when you think, how does this relate to that? But what it does is it encourages you to be in your body throughout that process. So when you're having sex, you're thinking about being inside your body. Like, what does it feel like inside my body? Like, what does my heart rate feel like? And so all the somatic work we do around, like, breathing exercises, and that's actually something we incorporated this week with this client, but, like, breathing exercises that encourage you to breathe breathe through your whole body, notice the sensations in your body. Yoga is really good for this. All of these things 
translate then when you're having sex into um like a you're then in your body when you're having sex and you're not like oh my god my butt's doing this or my boobs are doing this so really focusing on that I think is really helpful and masturbation can be a really good way to practice this um and also a really good time to like practice your breathing and stuff and like the idea of tantric sex and is kind of like there's lots to it like polarity and all this stuff but one of the concepts within that is like breathing breathing into it whilst you're whilst you're having sex so like actively like breathing into that area of your body um it's really cool it's really really interesting thing so I think that's such a such a good point that you made initially um okay Becca's question how to deal with colleagues making comments on your body and food choices boundaries friend (laughs) boundaries just tell them no like you don't you don't need that um I think it was Georgia when we've had a similar kind of question was like oh and her her response was to to ask them like oh it's it's interesting that you think it's okay to comment on these things I was like yes that is such a good one Mm, I love that too because you're not you can't I mean it's passive aggressive isn't it and some sometimes passive aggression is fine um but I I agree I think um like I mean you've got a couple of options right you can change the subject like just change the subject so if I was like to Anna why are you eating that for your lunch you could literally just be like oh have you had a busy day like you just completely change the subject (laughs) what are they going to do like what are they going to do they'd be like oh clearly she doesn't want to talk about that so change the subject you can think of a response that you want to say beforehand so if it's someone that always comments on your so I used to get this a lot when I was competing and I worked at the uni and we had a shared staff room with the nutrition department and I think it was the fashion department and so of course like the fashion people would be like what are you doing like why are you taking steroids it's creatine whatever right (laughs) there would always be comments but it was always from a place of interest like initially there was always initial judgment and I think sometimes you get that as a woman anyway sometimes um from people that maybe don't understand you um I certainly experienced that a lot in the past and then when you actually have conversations about it they're like oh I wondered about that and sometimes it comes out as judgment from other people and it's just curiosity but it's not necessarily articulated helpfully um and so you could like you could open up a dialogue and and actually say like oh I'm doing I'm doing this because this is like the healthiest option for me or because um like if it's a body comment I probably wouldn't even entertain a body comment and but with body comments I there's a couple of things if it's a compliment this is how I handle it if it's a compliment sometimes I'll just say thanks if it's a compliment from someone that I love and trust and, and have a laugh with, I'm like, thanks so much, but, you know, I don't talk about bodies. And then we'll make a joke about it. And then, and so I've still set the boundary, but it's in a joke, like a jokey way. And it depends on your relationship with the person. But if someone comments on your body, I would probably have a statement. I would either ignore it completely, change the subject, or I'd have a statement ready. So if someone was commenting on my body when I was competing and I was, they'd be like, oh, you're too thin, or you look really muscly right now, or whatever the case may be or I can tell you're balking right now (laughs) thanks whatever it was I tend to to be honest at that point I would probably just have laughed it off but if it continued then I think like this is the thing like you can laugh it off once but if it continues then saying something like oh like I'm working on my relationship my body I would love if we didn't talk about it or you don't even have to give that much information you can just say oh I don't talk about like in my in my life we don't talk about the way bodies look done or it's okay that you like it's okay that you care about other people's bodies but it's not okay like for you to comment on mine it's not and people don't like it when you set boundaries let's not be like let's not beat around the bush if you say things like that it's going to feel uncomfortable especially if you're a people pleaser but what happens if you don't say something is maybe nothing they'll never do it again not a huge deal um, but if they keep but they will keep doing it unless you comment on it and and the only hurt person that's hurting then is you and you're putting the, their need to say something above your own peace and like that's obviously not what you want okay Lynn's question maybe others can relate but a week or two back I had an event to attend when and when I went to get dressed the outfits I wanted to oh, wear we did this one we did okay Sorry. yeah it's okay um why do we self-sabotage i've been really making strides with making peace with my relationship with food and that really came out of the blue 
It was like an out-of-body experience. I knew I wasn't hungry and was literally snacking for the sake of filling a heart void in how I was feeling. But wow, all the lessons and coping mechanisms went out of the window for at least a day. I'm trying to be kind to that person inside me today and not beat myself up about it. I mean, what I will say is that doesn't sound like self-sabotage to me. That sounds like you had awareness of, of what was going on and what was feeling and you chose a previous coping mechanism and it's still a coping mechanism and there's nothing wrong with it being a coping mechanism, but you, as you've identified, you do have the other tools now. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things to remember in the work that we do is that it's not to say you're never going to overeat again. It's saying, okay, what tools do I have in place to help me through so that if it does happen, it's not going to continue and I'll sack off the whole week because of it, which mm -hmm. it sounds as though you haven't done. I think I want to highlight that first and foremost because you're human and these things happen. Um, But I think it's Nicola, Nicola Hobbs that um, said about self-sabotage being a form of self-protection. Um, and going back to like, like I just said, that it was a previous coping mechanism. It served a purpose. Um, so whatever you were feeling, that was kind of your way of looking after yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. And you said um, your me coping mechanism went out the window for at least a day, like it's a day today in your entire life that you've you know you may have had these may have had these strategies like maybe overeating or binge eating for so long and you've done so well to like navigate away from that that it's only one day out of this whole process that's incredible and it may well happen again and the key really is to think about I mean I'm not going to repeat anything you've said I would repeat everything you'd said if you hadn't said it because I think it's all like such good points um but I think the key really is like reflecting on it. And, and what's amazing that you said it filled that void. It was hurt. And I question sometimes, sometimes things are too much to, to feel sometimes. And sometimes filling that void with food on that one occasion is, is almost necessary in that moment because it's too much. And rather than feeling like a failure, reflecting on that and saying god like I, I needed to get myself out of that moment just that one time now it's now it's calmed down a little bit I wonder if I can sit and lean into that emotion and I can journal now now that that initial knee jerk has gone can I journal on that can I work through that and that's the difference between like a bit of emotional eating is fine we say this all the time a bit of emotional eating is absolutely fine what we don't want it to be is your only coping strategy and and it's not for you in that moment it was the it was the felt like the easiest thing to do and that's so normal and over time that will become less and less but I don't think it's rare for you to completely never emotionally eat ever again if that's your background it's not impossible but it's just saying oh that's interesting there's clearly something there and one of my clients yesterday actually she checked in and she said something amazing and she was like you know she was away on her own which used to be a trigger for her to to binge because she didn't like being on her own and she said um I noticed the urge to binge and so I used it as a, like, as a, I shouldn't say redirection. That's just how I worded it back to her. But like, I noticed it as a redirection to do my yoga and do all these other things. And that to me is incredible of like, at some point you will notice these things will come up again and you'll want to eat to fill the void. And, but you will be able to redirect that into doing these other coping strategies, but probably not a hundred percent of the time. And that's not sabotaging yourself. That is, that is, again, like you said, Anna, it's being human and it is, leaning on what has been an effective coping strategy for you for a while and that's and that's okay to do that what are your thoughts on weight set points that we have predetermined body weight and that our body naturally fluctuates between and how to lower that set point um i can just jump in on this one i think because i love this <laughs> okay we we do tend to have settling ranges 
it's not a predetermined body weight, it's a settling range. That settling range is, is determined by um, our environmental, our psychosocial, our physio physiological um, contributors. It's not that we're born and genetically it's like you're going to be 74 kilos point and that's going to be your weight when you're an adult. Like it's not like that. The settling range is based on loads, all of these different factors, ultimately based on how we think, um, our kind of natural genetic like hunger levels, energy levels, um, expenditure levels, and again, our food environments and how likely we are to do things like emotionally eat, etc. It's not something that's necessarily outside of your control, but there are genetic contributors to that. So there's there is a variation in people's perceived hunger levels. Now, this is super subjective, right? If I say to you, Anna, how hungry are you on the hunger scale right now? Your seven might be my four. Mm -hmm. It's who knows, right? It's a seven to you, and that's what's important. It's a four to me, and that's what's important. So we have to be really mindful of this when it comes to like hunger research. Like per perceived hunger is so different for different people because it's a perception. However, there does seem to be differences in, in like resting levels of like uh, leptin, ghrelin, certain hunger hormones between different people. There also seems to be differences in um, appetite response to exercise. So some people, when they increase their exercise levels, get a huge increase in their appetite. Some people get a reduction in their appetite. And obviously that has a knock-on effect then in terms of how much we eat, especially if we're on hunger, et cetera. So there's that. There's also things like some people, um, when they go into a calorie deficit, some people's meat levels reduce way more than other people's. And so their kind of energy preservation is genetically different. Again, that's not through conscious choice. So there's all of these things that contribute to ultimately what is our settling range for our body. And on top of that, some people, when they're stressed, emotionally eat other people when they're stressed they don't eat at all so that's and, and some of that is genetic in terms of what we go to but then on top of that we've got all of the environmental factors if we're both going to stress eat today and I've got a bowl of fruit out on my table and you've got a bowl of um Christmas chocolates out on your table who's going to eat more calories if we're both stressed and we both have the same inclination to stress eat etc it's going to be you because the chocolate's on your table and I've got apples on the table right so and that's like a really trivial point if you think about socioeconomic factors of like okay well what shops are available to me I have a car I can drive to Aldi or I can drive to Sainsbury's and I, can, and I can afford to shop in those shops to get some healthy food quote unquote healthy food whereas for other people they don't have cars and their closest shop is a newsagent and the only fruit it sells is old and gross and twice as expensive as a chocolate bar so who's then going to have, whose environment is going to impact them more? So that also contributes. And you might think that that's kind of like almost irrelevant when it comes to settling ranges. But in terms of when we've looked at all the research, the general consensus is now we have to take all of these things into consideration. And then your settling range really is probably bigger than you think it is. It's probably about like three to five kilos. It's probably not 0 0.5 kilos up and down, which a lot of us think it is. And um it's a, for each person it's it's different because food preoccupation like it should be a rate a, a weight where you're not preoccupied by food where you've got lots of energy where you sleep well where you recover from training well where you're doing um, regular exercise and physical activity and you're progressing in that you've got energy to do that that you're you're not getting regularly ill or you know unless there's underlying reasons for that um you've got a good mood this is where your settling range is, right? Where you're including all different foods and you're not restricting your diet. This is where your settling range is. To lower that, realistically, it's just about habit change. You can't change your genetic levels of hunger, but if you, you can do things like, this is something that Emma and I are talking about, actually, a talk this weekend that we're given. If you expect to be hungry, you're more likely to be hungry. If you, if you, there's a cool study that's like the milkshake study, and I don't know if you remember this study from the IQ. Yeah, Emma talked about that. Yeah, and it's great. And it's like, um, there was a study that gave people milkshakes and they told them either it was a calorific milkshake or a low calorie milkshake. And they and they lied to them, basically. And the people that thought that they had the high calorie milkshake had reduced hunger levels, even if they didn't have the high calorie milkshake, because they thought that they did, because they expected to be less hungry and vice versa. So expectations are really important. So in terms of like 
lowering your set point, you will ha- you can't change the genetic stuff, but you can change the way that you think about things. And you can also change your food environment. And you can also put in all the tools that we give you around emotional eating and mindfulness to help reduce your risk of overeating and of emotional eating and having other coping strategies. And these are all things that you can do. You can have unconditional permission to eat so that you're less preoccupied by food, even in a smaller body. Um, But I think this such a, it's raised such a key point of like, so many of us want to lower our settling range. And it's like, in an ideal world, maybe that would be the case for a lot of people. But at some point, sometimes, and it is doable for sure for a lot of people. Um, but I think at some point, sometimes you have to always go, like, what is the trade-off here to in my life? What is the trade-off for me to get into that smaller body? And is that worth it for the potential outcomes of being in a smaller body? And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Okay. How to deal with self-comparative thoughts when returning to a sport that you were previously good at? Me and my client, we've had we've had talks about this because we're both in the same boat. She's had a month, a month off. And was like in her checking, I was like, make sure when you go back to the gym, you're just enjoying yourself and not comparing to what you previously lifted. She said, yeah, the only thing I struggled with was deadlifts. I said, mm, me too. Still, still a struggle. <laughs> still a struggle. But I guess it's kind of framing what you're getting out of this sport and and making sure that you're honing in on, on that, on the, I mean, I don't know what the sport is, but hopefully there's enjoyment, whether it's the social side as well and the benefits to your health, um, rather than thinking about what you were able to do previously. Um, and I guess as well, kind of, I mean, whatever the reason for the break was, being grateful that your body's still showing up for you now. Hmm. I think like that's what I would say. I'd say every time you compare yourself to what you used to do when you go into that sport, you're ruining the time that you're getting to play that sport or compete in that sport or train for that sport. You're wasting your present moment. You're wasting this time that you that you seem to love because it's a sport that you enjoy doing by thinking about something that you can't change why would you choose to do that that I think is again it's a thought work of you know you're choosing you can choose whether to be present in that training and focus on getting better or get stronger or you can choose to think about the past but which is going to a lead to more joy and which is going to be help you progress more and I think sometimes we compare to our past to, to kind of, it's some sort of like self, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-harm. Like it's like we enjoy criticizing ourselves. So we think back to our past selves. Well, this is a really good way to like hurt myself. I'm just going to talk about how good I used to be and how shit I am now. Great. Great. Well, you do that, but it's not going to lead you to it. It's not, it's not, you deserve better than that. Right. And you deserve not to hurt yourself in that way. And so there's a self-worth thing in there of like, why do I feel like I deserve this negative talk? Why does this feel so natural to me? And challenge yourself on that. And then the other part of it is, sometimes we do this because we think it's going to fire us and it's going to push us and it's going to make us better. Like it doesn't. We know that beating ourselves up doesn't lead to improved behavior change. It doesn't lead to more progress. It just leads to us feeling a bit crappy and more frustrated if things don't go well. If you have a bad day now, you'll be like, oh, I'm just, just I, I knew I'd be crap. I knew I'd be crap because I used to be so much better than this. And it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think really taking your head out of it and, and challenging the choice that you're making with it. Do you guys journal every day? How did you get through the transition from tracking to not if you ever tracked? Is it about trusting yourself? So I guess two different types of questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to journal every day. Not. Uh, I'd say for me, I'm probably three, four times a week now. Hmm. I'm probably about once a week-ish on average. Some weeks will be more, some weeks will be less. I tend to journal. I'm more of a reactive journaler, but not in like the depths of, not in the depths like if I feel at all like yesterday I felt very discombobulated and I couldn't focus I was like why do I feel like this the moon then I just journaled 
it was the moon you're right it was full moon yesterday i can't believe we didn't talk about that it was the moon. <laughs> um and so i journaled and i blamed the moon and that was fine um but i knew there was something and and so i tend to i don't wait until you know i have a really bad day and then i journal but if i feel slightly out of sorts i'm like oh this is a good time to journal and i used to think i used to try and make it a big deal of like i need to journal it's like at night times or these things now i carry my journal around with me with my diary and with my laptop so that even if I'm in a coffee shop and I've got tons of work to do if I can't concentrate I'm like I'm going to journal and it's kind of like just to provide some clarity um which I find is a helpful way of doing it but I think sometimes when you get into the habit of it journaling every day can be really helpful to build a habit yeah yeah that's exactly what I was going to say I think for me it was building that habit and noticing the benefits and now like you it's like you can sense when you need it um, okay, so how did you get through the transition from tracking to not? Is it about trusting yourself? It is about trusting yourself, most definitely, but that doesn't come easy. Um, and I mean, this is dependent on the individual. But I know for, for me, when um, I started to remove tracking, we did a phasic approach because that was, that for me was building that trust in myself that oh look I can not track carbs and I'm still fine the day continues <laughs> yeah there's like it's kind of multifaceted right and obviously Anna like developed a transition to track the program so um knows the ins and outs of this but I think there's a couple of things like yes it is about self-trust it's also about giving yourself the evidence that nothing changes as you remove tracking. And that's why phasic removal can be quite good. Like you said, nothing changes when you eat more carbs than fat. Nothing changes if you like don't track one meal every day or if you eat your same foods, but just don't put them in my fitness pal, nothing changes. And you need to give yourself the evidence of that sometimes. But then I also think, and something that we do cover in transition to track free, um, which by the way is an online course that you can get anytime it's on the website. Um, well, something that we do cover in that is, and you'll be doing this work with Lynn too, is what tracking is providing for you. And it's most likely giving you this sense of control. And it's and, and sometimes when you're removing tracking, you also have to do an additional work on the anxiety that comes up and the fear that comes up around losing that sense of control. Because of course, if you don't have tools to support yourself when that happens, then the chances are you're going to keep falling back to track and to find that sense of control again because you can't you struggle to deal with the uncertainty and that's why somatic work compassion um thought work all of these things can be really really helpful to notice or oh, i feel out of control and i feel that in my body so like a key one that we use is compassionate breathing where you put your hand on your heart because a lot of the time these uncomfortable feelings come from like we feel them a lot of the time in our chest it's like constriction and so putting your hand on your chest and doing some deep breathing into that space can really help you to sit with these feelings and those feelings may well come up as you remove tracking it's not going to feel necessarily super comfortable um and again like developing the work like doing the hunger scale work around like what hunger actually feels like to you we live in a culture that has glorified disembodiment for our entire lives of not trusting yourself, of not trusting your feelings, of not trusting your hunger, of following diet culture rules and all these things that we genuinely believe that they know better than ourselves. And so actively doing the work to re-establish like, what does hunger feel like to me? What does fullness feel like to me? Um, can I sit with a little bit of hunger? At what point of hunger do I start to feel like I'm gonna overeat? Okay, so like, what does that feel like in my body? Those types of things of coming home to your own body super super helpful I think when I removed tracking I actually found it quite easy um because I'd been tracking for the whole time I was competing and then after my last show I remember just waking up the next day and I was like I think it was almost immediate of like I just don't want to track anymore like, and I definitely found initially that was still counting in my head for sure for quite a while I didn't really understand what thought work was at the time I didn't really I wasn't really educated on that so much at that point. Um, and so I definitely found myself counting and thinking I should have this. I have still, I remember still thinking like I used to weigh my oats and then I would do a protein scoop of oats because I knew that was 30 grams. And I've still do certain things where I, I could catch myself having little rules. Um, and that just takes time and and 
again, experience of saying, oh, that nothing changed when I just poured my oats into my bowl rather than putting them in a protein scoop first. And it just does to take the time um, that it takes. I was just thinking as well when you were talking about control and yes, I took a phasic approach, but I think I was, and again, this is going to come into the work that you'll do with Lynn. Is this? Yeah. And like we cover it on transition to track three and that's kind of looking at your headspace and, and what you want that to look like. And I know for me, when I was removing tracking, it wasn't such a big deal because I had more fun stuff going on. So mm. it's like, oh, well, I don't even need to think about it because I'm just enjoying life and being quite unquote normal with food. Do you know what? Like, I think you've hit the nail on the head with any of the work that you're doing when you're improving your relationship with food. It's so important and, and we encourage you so much to find other things in your life that you enjoy or that you feel that you have a purpose in or a passion in because it can be you can be really reluctant subconsciously to let go of preoccupation with food in your body if if you know that you don't have anything that you want to replace it with because that is a really scary realization of and I've done this in the past I was with I was in a shitty relationship and I scared to take the leap I actually liked my job but I was scared to leave that job for to go self-employed um, I didn't really see my friends that much. My life revolved around competing. I didn't. I lived in Manchester for years, and I, I think I went out for dinner like twice. And they were like cheat meals or something horrific like that. Like it wasn't like I didn't have a full life, and so it was much easier for me to continue to compete in bodybuilding and prep and diet and control my food and focus on my body than think, oh my god, I don't actually have a lot of fun in my life. Like, and and that was probably one of the reasons why I, I, I like I liked competing like I don't I don't regret it at all um it taught me a lot and I enjoyed it at the time but it was definitely one of the reasons I stayed in it because as soon as I came out of it I was like oh gosh like I, that's when I went to Cali for three months and I started doing stuff and I was like oh this is what life is supposed to be like or included more things in your life and that might be your kids that might be your job it could be anything it might be seeing more friends but it's so important and a lot of our clients like will we'll encourage you to build connections with people to some of you will quit your job and some people will you know there's so much variety of things that you can do and so that's that's equally as important as you reduce the other stuff to actively include the joy the fun the play and there's so many more reasons for that aside from just replacing it um that we won't even don't even have time to go into today um okay Let's leave it there. Thanks for all your questions. Keep them coming in. Thanks so much, Anna. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.